share the living hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. If your life is not given to him in faith, then I invite you before this hour is ended that you would give yourself to him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after King Jesus. He will be your living hope. Well, the worship team sounded great. The band sounded great today, and you're singing as well. One day, I would like to see the giant sequoias of Northern California. They are among the largest trees in all of the world. They can actually grow up to 3,000 years and climb about 300 feet high. I'd like to be able to see that one day. But you know, without fire, the forests, the sequoias, and the redwoods too would actually die. For it's by the fires that the sequoias actually reproduce. When fire sweeps through the woods, three things happen. Number one, it creates a little opening in the canopy allowing for light and more water to seep down through the trees to the floor of the forest. Secondly, the fire triggers the cones that are in the very top of the sequoias. It triggers them to open up and release the seeds that will dust the floor of the forest. And flames clear the leaves and all the debris that's there on the canopy or on the floor above the, uh, beneath the canopy. The debris that builds up, it's burned away and allows the seeds to actually hit the rich mineral soil, making the conditions just right for them to be able to sprout. When spring arrives and the snowy blanket melts, then the wet soil conditions make it ideal for those sprouts and those seedlings to come to the surface. Their birth rises among the ashes and really causes the forest to come forth, making generation after generation, some 70 generations strong, standing back and just awing in the beauty and the discovery of the strength and the glory of the sequoias. Now, like the fires of the Northern Californian Western Slopes, the Spirit of God is moving in our midst. The fires bring the glory to the mountains, and the fire of the Holy Spirit is bringing glory to many of us at Meadowbrook. And I believe that if you and I will press in to what God is doing, that his beauty and his majesty and his glory will be revealed, not just to us, but to others around us. He is bringing light where there has been shadowy darkness. And the Spirit is burning away clutter in life. So I'm talking about sin and selfishness that is just rooted in us. The fire of the Holy Spirit is burning that away. And he's bringing to us new growth, and that new growth is developing in a way that will prove to be glorious, such that not only will you and I experience that, but others will marvel at that experience that you and I have. I would say to us in these days, don't quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let him burn with all the vigor that he alone can. Let him bring the transformation that he has already begun in you. Embrace that. Move towards that step in the direction where the Spirit is working. Embrace God's masterful work because with the fire of the Holy Spirit 
bringing difference into our life, he is causing us to love God more fully. And our love for God more fully, we will serve him more greatly and more gloriously. And that will bring transformation to your family, your friends, your workplace, your school, and our community as well. God is doing a good thing. In the lives of people, God is doing a great work, and you and I can be changed forever in the midst of that work. Now, for a couple of weeks, I'd like to encourage us to take some steps in the direction that the Spirit, I believe, is moving us to do, and to begin working in the direction that the Spirit has already begun to work. I'm just going to mention two of them today, and then next Sunday, my, my plan is to mention about three more. Here's the first. It's pretty simple. I'd like for us to move towards knowing and contemplating God's love and grace for us, to know it and to contemplate on it, ruminate on it, really think about God's love and grace towards us, and then in doing so, we will reflect that back to him and cast that on other people as well. And I think you'll see a rhythm here. If you're really wanting to love God more, it will come as you understand and discover God's full love for you. Loving God comes first by you understanding God's love for you. So I want us to know and reflect on God's love and then just bring that back to him and bring that to other people. So let me encourage you with this. Elevate your expressions of love to God. Elevate that. Be very clear about saying to God, I love you. With words, with attitude, with thoughts, with actions, elevate your expressions of love to God. Can I ask you a very personal question? You don't have to answer me out loud. How often do you tell God that you love him? Do you express your love for God? Is it evident? Was it evident over the last little bit of corporate worship that we just did? Was it evident that you love God? Does God know from your heart, from your expression, and from your, your singing, demonstratively or otherwise, does God know from that last bit of singing to him that you love him? I would again to say all of us ought to be elevating our expressions of love to God. And that will come when we really know and reflect on God's love for us. This is a rhythm of God. God gives love, and out of that love that he gives to us, we can express that love back to him. We'll talk about it in a moment, but 1 John 4 is very clear about this. The only way that you and I can love is by God first loving us. So just resting in this knowledge that God loves us, taking that in, reflecting on it, just meditating on it, and then let the expressions increase of your love to him. Kay and I must express our love for one another. I mean, sometimes we're just sappy, I don't mind telling you. Now that the nest is empty and there's no kids coming and going, it's really easy for us to just constantly be sharing our love for one another, just expressing it, uh, trying to go out of our way, because we're focused on each other. There's nobody in the house to focus on other than each other. And some of you have been there, some of you have experienced that previously, and some of you are doing it right now. 
That expression of love to one another is absolutely essential. In fact, our marriage deepens the more we reveal love to one another. When Kay knows, not just with my words, but with my attitude and actions, that I'm going out of my way to express love to her, that deepens our relationship. And the same for her. When I sense her love and respect for me, it deepens our marriage. Hey, that's pretty easy, right? Everybody gets that. For, for all you crass old-timers that say, oh, I told her I love her when I met her, or I told her I loved her when I married her. If I change my mind, I'll let her know something different. No, no, no. You've got to quit that. She needs and he needs to know that you love her or him. And the, the, the relationship deepens in that, and it is no different with you and God. God is telling you constantly, when you read his word, when you're in prayer, God is telling you constantly of his love for you. And you would do well if you would tell him in attitude, words, and actions of your love for him. It will deepen your relationship with him. Are you communicating your love to God? How is it that you're communicating it? How is it evident that you are communicating love to God. Now, David, certainly, King David expressed his love for God. Uh, focus with me for a minute in Psalm 18. I've already turned there. Maybe you'll want to turn there as well. And sure, it'll be on the screens and it's in your handout. But there's something about you opening your Bible and taking a pencil or a pen and just making some notations that the Spirit would lead you to do so. But Psalm 18, verse 1, David just outright says it. Here's his words. I love you, O Lord. That's a good way to start a song, isn't it? I love you, O Lord. Now, there's just little choruses that we sing sometimes that just speak about loving God. Uh, those ought to be sung regularly in your house, in your car, uh, when it's just you and God alone in prayer. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice and just honor him, right? Just love on him. Whatever the words are that you can put in song, shoot, I make them up half the time. Just singing love songs to the Lord. That's what David is doing. That's what this psalm is all about. He's trying to communicate to his God his love. Why would he do that? Because God has communicated his love to him. I know that's true because look at the rest of the song. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know what he's saying there? God, you are revealing your love to me in all these incredible dynamic ways. It is my response to love you. Hear that rhythm that he's establishing even in this song? So explore those key words with me in verse 2 there. The Lord, he is our strength, isn't he? He's our solidity. He is our security. He is our deliverance. He's our refuge, our wholeness, our defense. He is all those things. Now catch this for a moment because when we attempt to find these aspects anywhere else or in anywhere else other than the Lord, then we will diminish our love for him. Because those are the way God proves his love for us. Those are the way that God is expressing love to us. 
The counterfeits often degrade our ability to know God, to know his love for us, and thus communicate in response to his love with our own love to him. Sometimes we are tempted to question God's love, especially when we experience difficulties and hardships. And some of you are going through very difficult days. This is a season unlike any other for some of you. And you might even question, does God love me? Does he love me to the depth that he used to love me? Will he love me again like he used to? Will I know it's love? You know what Psalm 18 is doing? Psalm 18 is giving us insight to the troubles we face and the love and grace of God that remains constant. Because we need a rock and a fortress because we live in a shaky and vulnerable world, right? So we need a rock by which we can stand on. So, so don't seek a counterfeit to stand in troubled times. Go to the one who is the rock, who is expressing his love and encouragement to you in the solidity that you need. Love the Lord and stand confidently in him. We need a deliverer because there is a destroyer and we need a shelter because we live in a turbulent world. We need a shield because there is an enemy who is after to seek to kill and destroy. We need a horn. That is a, a representation of potency and power. We need the horn of salvation because we experience oppression. All of those things are the realities of life. All those are the way it, about the world that is broken by our sin. But the love of God is evident in the midst of all of that and all the hardship God continues to prove to be our lover. And David has come to that conclusion that sure I am in need of refuge and strength and hope and a rock and a cleft by which I can tuck into. I need that because I live in a broken world and God, you are revealing your love because you are meeting me in the midst of all that. It's a wondrous truth that David is discovering and communicating. and We would do well to just reflect on that. When we seek refuge or hope or comfort in anything other than the Lord, then we have placed something above God. And when we place something above God, we have placed our love for that thing above our love for God. And God says, oh, if you really want to live in the blessed way of life, then love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't look for refuge, strength, or salvation in anything other than the Lord. Press towards him in those needs. Otherwise, you'll obstruct your ability to love him fully. So you can attempt to find refuge and comfort in something other than God and thereby impede your ability to love God fully as you're wanting to. I'll give you some examples. They're certainly not all inclusive, but uh, here, here's a short list. If we strive for security with wealth, by increasing our wealth, thinking that's going to make us more secure, then that will stand in our way of loving God more fully. You say, well, where are you going with that? Here's what Jesus said. You and I cannot love God and money at the same time. So when you're thinking, if I just had more, I'll be secure, things will be okay, my life will be better, then you have elevated that 
above God and God says, oh, you can't do both of those at the same time. You're going to have to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're going to have to find your security in me. Certainly that doesn't negate us being wise and good managers and being resourceful and working diligently. It doesn't negate any of that, but we don't want to elevate those things above God. And when we elevate God above money, then we're showing him how much we love him. Or obsessing over health and vitality. And it's a real issue today in, in a world that is marked with sickness and disease and death and COVID and all that stuff. Many of people will elevate health and vitality over their love for God. And that is incredibly sinful and risky for living because when you face sickness and death, and we all will face sickness and death, does it cause you to question your love for God? It will if you have elevated health and vitality above that of God. See how David is coming to conclusion that this is who God is. This is him and it's love for me and I'm going to elevate him above all things and I want to communicate my love for him in those things. And he's not going to let something take the position that God has already given to him. I could go on and on. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs, including prescription drugs that might be a counterfeit for some refuge in your life. Maybe to take the edge off in the evening. Maybe it's a diversion from hurt and pain and suffering with all the busyness and sports and entertainment and hobbies and binging on TV and constantly looking through social media, trying to find refuge in something other than God, each of those things will impede our genuine love for God. So I'm just encouraging us as the Spirit has called us, as Al called us last week, to love God with all of our being. I'm saying take a step to that. Is it evident that you are elevated in your love for God? And it will be if you have increased your concentration on God's love for you. Just thinking about that, knowing his love for you. David loved God like few other people, maybe because he understood like few others how much God loved him. If you want to love God completely, then you need to understand his love and grace for you. Like the Apostle Paul, I pray that the Lord may grant to us that we might be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith and that each of us being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with the fullness of God. What a prayer that is. That's my prayer this day. That you, you were engaged in something last week that you sensed a deeper call and to know the love of God. So just embrace that. Step towards that and communicate that to the Lord. Let's commit to know him and dwell on his love for each of us and the grace that he has given to us. David certainly did. Now in his life, David sinned deeply didn't he I mean, the great reflections of David no one had a heart after the Lord like him but when you think of his life and the real pitfalls of his life you'll you'll recognize man David was a liar David was a cheater David was an adulterer David was even a murderer 
But in all of that, he came to know more fully God's love. Among all the Psalms, the one that I go to most often is Psalm 139. And listen to the way it begins. Knowing this cheater, adulterer, murderer has written this, look, listen to what he says. He says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. Now that sentence alone would invoke fear in most of us. And it should. In a healthy, respectful way, it should. But David is making a different conclusion here. Lord, you have searched me and know me. Then when you go to verse 17, it says this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would more than, be more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. You know what he's saying? The love that God has for David is not dependent upon David. It's a dependent on the character of God. And the character of God is love. He is love. So I know that you've done things, sinful things, dark things, and so have I. And I know that you and I hope that nobody ever finds out about some of those things. But God already has. He knew them before you did them. He watched you while you were doing it. And by his spirit, he's called you out of that. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And still, I think about your thoughts of me, and they're good. If I were to count all the things that you think about me that's good, it would outnumber the sand. How amazing. If you've been questioning God's love for you, just let that settle in for a moment. God loves you. You've got to embrace that. If you're going to be a lover of God, if you're going to walk in a love relationship with God, you're going to have to first embrace that God loves you. It doesn't mean he won't hold you accountable to your sin. It doesn't mean he won't judge the sin in your life. It does not negate the fact God loves you. And in that love, you can express love to him. So you and I can say the same that David says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? I mean, how much, how much greater depth of love does God need to share with us? We, we understand the same things. So we don't discount the love that God has for us. And when we don't discount the love of God for us, then we can fully express the love that we have for him. We can love him because he loves us. Now, by God's expression, you and I can have a significant expression of love for him. You're saying, I don't know that I can love him like that. Listen to me. You can love God. You can love him deeply. You can express love for him. You say, I don't know if I can. Listen, I promise you, based on the word of God, you can love God to the measure that he is calling you to love him. You say, well, he's calling me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. Yes, he's calling you to do that. I don't know that I can do that. You can do that. How do I know that to be true? Because your love for him is not dependent on you as much as it is dependent upon him. Listen to this. Our expression of love for God is more dependent upon God than it is us. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and following, talks about God depositing his love for us, giving his love to us. L listen what he says. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the people who have been born of God, of the Spirit, the people who know God because they are known by him and he has made himself known to them, those are the people who can love. So in that God has brought you into relationship with him, you can love. Look what he says in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins. So our expression of love to God is more dependent upon God than it is us. How about move where God's already moved? Move in love because God has already moved to you in love. The second thing is this. Our expressions of love to God are the result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So our love for God is more dependent upon him than it is us. And secondly... It is by the Spirit filling us that we can actually love. Now, of all the nine characteristics that are listed for those who are filled by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in us. And you know the number one thing that he mentions? Love. So that tells us that if we are filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit, love will be the exercise of that. Love will be the manifestation of that. So if you have wondered... Can I love God to the depth that God ought to be loved? Can I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? The answer is yes, and you can do that because God first loved you, and the Spirit of God is pouring love into you and manifesting his love through you. Yes. Just embrace what he is doing. You don't have to come up with it on your own. You don't have to figure it out on your own. Just embrace what God is already doing and exercise in that. So we can assume that this Holy Spirit will do his work in us if we avail ourselves to him. If we make ourselves available to him, God's Spirit will do the work. The power is always in the Spirit. So I say as Psalm 31 Love the Lord, all you his saints. Love the Lord. Express your love for him. Communicate your love to him. Love him. Now, secondly, I would say this. Plan a daily and weekly retreat with God. So I'm just mentioning two things today as we're moving towards love. One is we're elevating the expression of our love to God. Second is this. We want to plan a daily and weekly retreat with God. Here's an interesting passage from Luke, or I could have pulled many of them from any of the other Gospels. But here's what it says. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. But now, even more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him, speaking of Jesus, and to be healed of their infirmities... But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, we often talk about Jesus' public ministry, and rightfully so. We talk about all the things that he did. 
His teaching, his healing, his compassionate miracles, his display of power and authority. I mean, those are the, those are the things that we talk most about. Jesus, his life, his ministry, it's what we're reading about. John concluded at the end of his gospel account, you know, at the last chapter, John said, man, I'm just giving you just the tip of the icebergs, the things that Jesus did. Well, if I were to put all the things that Jesus did on paper, John explains, if I could write them down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain with books all that would be written. John says there's no way to, to have them all written down. There's so many of them. So we focus on the things that Jesus does or has done. Like many of you, when I read the gospel accounts, it's like a movie playing in my mind. I can see Jesus doing the work. I can see Jesus sitting there teaching. I can see the crowds around. I can visualize the people that are coming to him and pressing towards him. And I tend to envision the work that Jesus has done. I tend to imagine the activity of our Lord and the people around him as he's doing that activity. But doing that, doing that, I miss out on a big part of Jesus' life the solitude and silence of Jesus. If I only think about his activity, I have negated a big part of his life. If you go back through the gospel accounts, you'll pick up on it. Many times it speaks of Jesus pulling away to be with his father. Jesus and the father express oneness and love to one another very intentionally. Our Lord's intimacy with his Father in heaven was nurtured by these intentional retreats, purposefully pulling away, withdrawing to a desolate place so that he might pray. Throughout the gospel accounts, we find this over and over and over. Sure, you read all the narratives and the activities and the teachings and the miracles, but throughout the gospel accounts, there are just seasons of retreats that they give us insight to. The breaks were he withdrawing from people, the activities, and even the transformational events. You would think, why wouldn't he just stay right there? He's got a good thing going. Man, the masses are coming. Why not just stay right there? But no, no, he pulls away. He goes to a place alone. He withdraws. You know why he does that? Simply to be alone with his heavenly father. He purposes to be quiet before his Lord, an intimate retreat resulting in this great, rich fellowship that richly sourced his life and his ministry, his compassion, his wisdom, and his ability to do what the Father had called him to do to carry out the will gloriously. I dare say without those times of desolate, quiet, solitude moments, without those times, Jesus' ministry wouldn't be nearly as powerful as it was. Jesus' public ministry started in solitude, didn't it? It started in the wilderness, 40 days, alone with his father. And it ended in the same way. It ended him pulling away quietly by himself on the garden slopes there right outside of Jerusalem. Jesus retreated to his father when it came time to make decisions, when dealing with people, when dealing with grief, he would pull away in prayer. When people attempted to sway him from the ministry direction that the Spirit had led him to, Jesus would withdraw and pray. He retreated to the Father when he was anguished in sorrow over his impending crucifixion. 
It wasn't just that he was in need. Jesus would retreat with his heavenly father because he loved him and he was one with him and he wanted to be with him. If Jesus, who is the son of God, understood that love to love the father more fully and to do the ministry more gloriously required him to retreat in solitude and prayer, how much more should you and I recognize the need of that? Loving God with effort necessitates that we retreat with him purposefully. And in light of Jesus' practice, I suggest that it would be impossible for us to love God more fully and do his ministry more expressly without pulling away with daily and weekly retreats with the Lord. As I mentioned earlier, Kay and I had just recently spent three weeks on sabbatical. The root of that word comes from Sabbath. It means to pull away and rest. Now, if you're in the academia world, it means something different for you. It means travel. It means study. It means writing. But in the biblical expression, Sabbath is rest. We pulled away for a short season. I don't mind telling you, I didn't realize, but it came at a perfect time. In retrospect, after a few years of capital campaigning and of constructing and of COVID and of dealing with the death of people that we love deeply, it was good to pull away sabbatical just the two of us. If you know me very well, you know I'm a pretty extensive planner. I like to have things in, in order. I like to manage. We knew where we were going the very first night. After that, we didn't have a single reservation. I knew sort of a direction that we might go, and that was we would start in the northeast corner of Florida, and we would go all the way till it said, you can't go anymore. 90 miles from Cuba. And then we would make our way back. It wasn't about the travel. It wasn't about what we saw, and that was beautiful. It wasn't about you being in the 30s and us being in the 80s down there. <laughs> Thus the unseasonal tan. You know what it turned out to be about? That lady right there and me resting together our relationship deepened in that honestly I don't know many people that have the relationship that Kay and I have God really has blessed us it's beautiful but it deepened and you know why it deepened because you gave us the opportunity to pull away and just sabbatical just rest with one another now, let me take that very temporal relationship of marriage. It's very temporary. We only have it for this world. Let me take that and expand it to something incredible, something glorious and eternal. God is saying, Jesus understood. I want a relationship with every one of you to be so rich, so deep, so full 
that we need to pull away. We need sabbaticals. We need Sabbaths. We need time to develop that. So choose the day in the morning. Choose the day in the evening when you're going to spend time resting in me, coming to know me and my love for you, you expressing your love to me. Let's pull away and spend that time. Let's pull away for a few days. Let's pull away for one day a week. Let's pull away for a season. Whatever it is, God is saying, I want that time with you. You want that time with me so that we might grow more exponentially in our relationship with one another. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, some of us have thought that, okay, me reading the Bible and praying and spending time alone quietly with God is what I must do every day. It's what's expected of me. And God is saying, no, 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 it's not about what's expected of you. It's what I'm longing for with you. It's your rest. It's you being intimate hearing my love for you, knowing my grace towards you, knowing my attention is on you. It's you knowing and discovering that and then echoing back that love that I have for you. Echo it back to me. I expect that your retreat with the Lord is going to include reading and meditating on the Bible, and it should, but be mindful that our purpose is to have intimate fellowship with him. The purpose is not to read the Bible. The purpose is to know the God of the Bible. Maybe you need to freshen your attitude about this. And no doubt you'll pray, but let your prayers be highly relational and let it include unhurried times of just being quiet before the Lord and meditating on him and his word, filling your heart and your mind and your attitude with his word and truth and promises. During your retreat with the Lord, love on him and be loved by him. Know him and be known by him. Man, what a difference that would make in our time with him in rest every day. If we didn't see it something that we have to do, but something that we long to know, and that's the God of the Bible. God is doing a new work, and he's calling us to retreat with him. Retreating with him is not so much what you do as who you are and in the relationship that you have with God by determination, God has chosen you to be a beloved son or a daughter if your faith is given to Christ. You're in relationship with the creator, the sustainer, the king of the universe. That's good. So God is calling us, Meadowbrook, to a new thing, a new work. And he's doing that. Last week, many of you were moved towards God to love him more fully and those flames are opening up opportunity like the canopy of the sequoias are opening up. And God's spirit rain is falling down on you, making the conditions just right so that as his word is falling, it's falling like seeds into fertile soil, like that of a good heart, and it will sprout up. And I can promise you by God's great intention, it will produce a fruit. Would you let that flame of the spirit what he began, just let it continue to do his work. What does that mean? 
I think it means being determined to take steps towards where he is. Know God and his love and grace for you and then return that expression of love and grace to him. Seek him above all things, not putting anything above him. Love him in that way. And let that love be shared with other people. Secondly, be purposeful in your retreat with the Lord. Let it be daily. Let it be weekly. Let it be seasons with great intentionality. Pull back and know your God. Know him. And let him know you. Lord, what you have begun, as Philippians says, bring to completion. I pray, Lord, it would be evident now that your spirit is working within us so deeply, so fully, so richly, that our hearts would be given to you, our minds would be focused clearly on you, that we would be willing to pull back from anything and everything in order to spend time in our love relationship with you. Deepen it, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that you find us eager for that. Oh, Lord, you are our rock. You are our refuge. You're our deliverance. You're our salvation. You're our strength. You are our love. And we want to love you with all of our being. So help us, God, to do just that. By your spirit filling us with your love given to us. Let us love you fully. And may it make a great and glorious difference to the people around us as 